This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast. I'm Dave Adler, but who cares? <laughs> what is important are my co-hosts. Say hello to Kylie Miller. Hey, y'all. Say hello to Philip Huang. Hello. Did I do that right? Say hello to Aaron Pazaski. Hello. And say hello to Hadil Ayub. Hello. Uh, and I should tell you, listeners, before you embarrass yourselves by making unwarranted assumptions, that these are not the only people in the studio today. We have with us Dr. Sharon Larson. And I asked her to join us because I read an article in the newspaper, uh, local newspaper a while back, um, about... Dr. Larson, because she came to the University of Iowa as the first female cardiothoracic surgeon in Iowa. And that got me thinking, we got to talk to her. So welcome, Dr. Larson. Thank you for having me. I don't want to give our listeners the wrong impression here. It's not that Iowa's particularly backwards and not having a plethora of female cardiothoracic surgeons just waiting for teaching hospitals to hire them. Um, but, uh, you know, CT surgeons are rare enough. I've read that there may be, what, 5,000 of them in the U.S.? That's correct. Uh, but female CT surgeons make up only, what, 5% of that number is what I read. Just under 5%, yes. How come? <laughs> oh, isn't that the question of the day? Well, I think the profession is challenging in and of itself. Medicine in general takes a, a great amount of personal sacrifice. Uh, surgery uh, takes that a step farther. And cardiothoracic surgery um, is sort of beyond all of that additionally. So the lifestyle modification that it takes and the personal sacrifice that it takes to make this your career is, is a big decision to be made. And I, I would encourage people who feel that there's nothing else they can see themselves doing the rest of their life to pursue the career because it is very difficult whether you're male or female the funny thing is that i hear that advice all the time about <laughs> medicine in general yes uh don't do it unless you really want to uh, right unless you really can see yourself doing it forever and right and i think surgery in general has been a predominantly well medicine had been um, male dominated for many, many years. That's changing. And I know we see that in our matriculation in medical schools that the classes are pretty much even, if not even uh, the majority of students are, be are female nowadays in medical school. And so there's that trickle down effect or, or I don't know, trickle up effect, I guess, as you uh, <laughs> mature through your training, that it's going to take a few generations uh, to get there where we're seeing an equal number of males and females in surgery and then in cardiothoracic surgery as well. We know that 5% of board certified cardiothoracic surgeons are female, but 20% of 
the cardiothoracic surgery trainees in residency and fellowship programs are female now. So it's only a matter of time before we see that turnover into the attending level population and the and the number of board certified cardiothoracic surgeons, uh, be, you know, becoming more and more female. So I have a question. I came across a um, paper that looked at women in cardiothoracic surgery in 2012, I believe is when this came Mm -hmm. out. So it's a few years old. And it stated that in addition to the trainees increasing, that um, 50% of the women that were um, surveyed had entered the workforce in the last 10 years, so that there is this exponential increase. What are some things that you think are changing that? Is it just exposure, or are you guys implementing a kind of mentorship to really lure more women into this field? Well, I wouldn't use the word lure. (laughs) (laughs) In the best sense of the word. I think encourage and motivate um, would be, um, you know, the, the strategies we use. I think just knowing that it's possible, um, that you can be female, you can be a surgeon, you can be a cardiothoracic surgeon. It just needs to be advertised or broadcast a little more widely because it is such a long process. I mean, think about the other people you attended undergrad with. If you didn't know pretty early on that you were headed for medical school, you weren't taking the right courses, you weren't getting the right prerequisites, So you had to know really early on that was kind of your end game, right? And so when you look at medical students and they're just learning about medicine in general, they haven't had a lot of clinical exposure. They maybe don't have a particular area of interest yet. If they don't see that as a female medical student, that kind of role model or just someone to to show that it's possible, they're not going to be thinking about that early on. So we have a responsibility as the few practicing female cardiothoracic surgeons that are out there to make to encourage everyone to go into the field, whether they're male or female. No, tell them about the practice. Tell them about the amazing, awesome surgeries we get to do and have them thinking about that early on so they know about the programs, whether it's an integrated program in cardiothoracic surgery where you go right from medical school into your cardiothoracic surgical training mixed with some general surgery early on, or a traditional route. Um, Do your general surgery training and then a cardiothoracic surgery fellowship. We really need to let people know this this is an amazing field, It's, it's worthy, and let them know about it so they can start formulating that idea for their goals later on in life. So what was it that drew you to this field? Was it a mentor or a particular experience that you had that made you realize this is what you wanted to do? Um, Divine intervention. (laughs) So my mom tells me that it was at the age of eight that when adults would ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? I started answering with, I'm going to be a heart surgeon. Well, (laughs) my dad works in corporate business. Um, My mom has her doctoral degree in education, um, works in administration, has been a music teacher, has her nursing degree as well. But I didn't have doctors in the family that I think a a young person would aspire to. I wasn't pushed into it. A lot of people ask me that. Was I forced into it? No. Um, But I had a mom who's 
opportunities, I think, were limited from a social standpoint. Um, in high school, she graduated at the top of her class, but no one necessarily expected her to go to college. She did um, and did very well in college. But then I think for women, and she shared this with me, you could be a teacher, a nurse, or a mom. And so she did all three and she's done, <laughs> she's done all three really well. But no one talked to her in high school and said, you are in a physics class with all male students mm -hmm. and have the highest grade. Did you know that people who do well in physics could become great engineers or an mm. astronaut or a professor? And so it was important for her, I'm the oldest of three girls in my family, that the whole wide world of opportunities were opened up for us. Mm -hmm. So when we did really well on a spelling test, it was, oh, you could be an author, or you could be a teacher, or you could do anything you wanted. If you did well on a math test, you could be a mathematician, you could be a professor, you could be a doctor. And so to have that influence very early on, that the sky's the limit as long as you're working hard, I think made the difference. That and both my mom and dad would take us to these cool science museums growing up. And I do remember in Dallas at the science museum, they had this exhibit on the body when we were very young and everything was interactive. And the heart was sort of this jungle gym where you climbed up the IVC as if you were the you know blood return. And then you sort of climbed down this rope ladder through the right atrium into the right ventricle. <laughs> mm. And then there was this blind ended tunnel that was supposed to uh, it, you know, mirror the pulmonary arteries going to the lungs. And then you sort of swung over to the left atrium and then went down into the left ventricle, climbed up the aorta, and then a slide let you out of the exhibit. And so maybe that was it. No. <laughs> this I is thought, a great anatomy <laughs> review. I'm going, okay, I know these I'm words. Like, uh, I can oh, yeah, yeah. from, from that. So, <laughs> so, you know, I, it was a combination of recess and anatomy, and I thought, this is what I'm going to do with my life. So, <laughs> Dave, can we uh, make a proposition to put that in the courtyard here at Merck? <laughs> that sounds awesome. I fully support that idea. Nobody <laughs> listens to me but you know that's fine <laughs> just let Megan aboard now so I always had this idea that that's what I wanted to do and of course when you're young and you tell everyone you want to be a heart surgeon you can imagine the positive feedback that gets so that definitely helped um, I certainly had I remember in high school just even like my English teachers just being so supportive of what my goals were certainly in undergrad um, I had a lot of support from my professor in organic chemistry because I knew I had to get through that class in order to get to medical school. Um, and then in medical school, um, it was very clear. I, I just, I always knew this is what I wanted to do. And I was very lucky that once I got to the point of general surgical training, I had some amazing female mentors, few, but amazing. Um, and I've always been part of departments and divisions and programs that had very forward-thinking, open-minded, encouraging leadership. And that's what's so important. So they, they helped validate my goals and certainly helped guide me and um, made sure I was accomplishing what I needed to to get to that end point. Um, so I, I've just, I've been very lucky along the way, but the... The desire is 
has always been there. On the flip side, did you ever get those uh, questions that a lot of women get about surgery and, you know, oh, if you want to be this, you can't do that. Or, you know, usually the usually the question comes about with Mm -hmm. like motherhood. Sure. You know, did that ever happen to you? And how did you if if it did, how did you deal with it? Well, um, I'll start by saying I am not a mother, (laughs) Um, but I am a very proud auntie. And <laughs> they're way cooler. Yeah. Well, there and there, I, and there are other reasons why that sort of thing might sure. come up, or other ways that might come up. Absolutely. And so, but I have had friends go through programs who, um, you know, have become pregnant and have delivered, and there are those comments about how they're somehow slacking because they're gone delivering a baby. Um, and all the call that they're going to have to make up for. And it, it seems so strange because as medical professionals, we're supposed to be filled with empathy for the patient. (laughs) And somehow we don't see one another as potential patients. Hmm. And a woman giving birth is a patient. So she's going to need some time to recover from her medical encounter. And in order to propagate the species, women (laughs) must continue to give birth. And so shouldn't we support that? And how great that these highly motivated, intelligent women are going to be giving birth to these children. And what a great example they're going to be setting for those kids. So we need to... I don't know, give each other a break a little bit and help one another out. I don't see the same kind of negative feelings when someone breaks their leg on a ski trip, whether they're male or female, (laughs) and have to be hospitalized and spend a certain amount of time away from their work responsibilities. So we need to, to kind of backtrack. No one's having a baby to ruin your career. Right. <laughs> and that's a very personal decision and their coworkers should have really no say about whether that's right wrong or bam dr yeah. larson laying, <laughs> it, laying down laying it down smart women having babies saving the world <laughs> well it's a it's and it's it's just a very personal choice um uh, on the flip side i think we should also be a little more considerate about our male colleagues who are new fathers. What are we doing to protect their time with their new children? Mm-hmm. And how are we supporting them in this new role of fatherhood? And um, since I, I've heard a lot of parents compare it to, you know, psychiatric conditions, they're mm-hmm. patients too. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, when you think about yeah, that. <laughs> I know that. The lack of sleep can, can take a toll. And again if if you uh wheedle it down to true just propagation of the species shouldn't we want highly intelligent highly motivated <laughs> people you know having these children that yes. sounds very kind of judgmental but uh, <laughs> but i you i'm know, not going to judge you for it yeah so i have not personally um you know been the recipient of of any of that no one's ever said oh you can't have a child I was wondering, uh, since, again, you said there's not a whole lot of women in the uh, doing CD surgery, did you feel like there's something in particular that you had to overcome 
to be here today? I I don't think so. I have been, I always knew I was going to have to work hard and I do. And I take a lot of pride in that. I don't think this is any easier um, or anything is more difficult, whether you're male or female. It's a hard job. It's a hard road. And I, I do think because I have been in programs with strong leadership that would never tolerate um, discrimination, that I have been fortunate to avoid some of those obstacles to overcome. I, I've let the work speak for itself. And for anyone who wants to go into this field, I think you're, you're naturally going to have an inner drive and an inner motivation to do the very, very best you can for your patients. And that's what really matters. Not if you're doing better than the guy next to you or getting as many cases. So you do, but you do want to look for programs or avoid programs if there's been any kind of I don't know, historical or, you know, prejudice against female trainees. I can't think of any right now. And certainly none of the programs that I've attended, that's ever been an issue. You let the work speak for your, for itself. And, and that, that's gotta be enough because that's, that's the standard to which we're all held. Are patients doing well? And how well are we doing for our patients? We're all kind of told when we enter medical school to keep an open mind about what specialty we may pick, even if we have something we're interested in. Um, you mentioned that you've been interested in this since childhood, but did your um, interests ever waver? Did you ever consider anything else? Absolutely. Um, I had, and even in fellowship, um, <laughs> trying to, to, to pick a different subspecialty even within cardiothoracic surgery, um, my interests have, have varied. So in medical school, I was pretty, I loved my surgical rotations. Just, I love the procedures and the floor work. I like that there's a lot of clinical aspect, a great operative aspect, obviously operative <laughs> aspect in surgery. Um, but that I still got to see patients in clinic and take care of them. I really was drawn to primary care because I love that really in, kind of intimate relationship you develop with these patients of treating them from, what is it they say, from womb to the tomb. Mm -hmm. um, and you're really their guide for health their entire life. Um, pediatrics was really tough for me because I, I love kids and it was really hard for me to see them sick and hurt and as much as I wanted to help them out I just I'm not built that way um, to to witness that day in and day out and then when you get those awful cases of suspected abuse it was hard for me to kind of hold back and and navigate through that situation I loved psychiatry of course I self-diagnosed myself with everything I was learning about <laughs> I think we're all guilty I know <laughs> only half of it was true right probably. right um and but it was always the surgical rotations that really got me very excited I do think it's important to stay open-minded but again if you're thinking you want to do something, I think especially surgical, you have to plan those fourth year rotations out well in advance, especially in the programs that you're most interested in. 
Um, and it's okay to change your mind. I attend. I attended the a cardiovascular symposium that was put on by the University of Iowa last Friday. And they had a speaker who has done an internal medicine residency, a pediatric residency, uh, electrophysiology uh, fellowship, cardiology fellowship. Um, Good Lord. There was some <laughs> other, and then I think he had actually just finished a plastic surgery residency <laughs> as well. So, so your one -stop I chop wouldn't shop. advise that because you'll never pay off any loans you might have <laughs> mm -hmm. on a resident salary. But it's okay to change your mind even later in the game. The important mm -hmm. thing, you've already chosen the most noble profession, and that is medicine. So from this point on, you can't go wrong. Remember that. Um, because there is this strange hierarchy of specialties, and I don't quite understand why that exists, because we all need each other. I mean, a patient is never just going to have, an, you know, something that can be treated by their pediatrician, right? Because God willing, they grow up and become an adult and then need an internist. And if they need a surgeon, well, surgeons are great at procedures, but then they're going to need the medical doctor to help manage some of their other comorbidities like diabetes and heart failure. So to understand we're all in this together, we've already chosen this noble path to treat patients to optimize their health. So no matter what specialty you choose or what specialty you end up in, you've done the right thing, as long as that's where your heart lies especially if you're in your heart surgery. Sorry. One of the things that might put people off is the length of training mm -hmm. um, that one must go to. But w something I sometimes think about and wonder about is, um, you know, it, it, in, a, in a profession that's a sort of a lifelong learning profession, um, maybe that shouldn't be as much of a, of a uh, impediment to your thinking. Um, I, I know that there are earning problems, uh, you know, for, for residents, but the learning itself shouldn't be, I would think, what puts people off. No, and learning should never stop. Um, medicine, science is constantly changing. We're learning more and more. And so as far as the learning aspect goes, you should be ready to do that for the rest of your days. Now the training and the rigorous schedule, um, the demands of your personal time are certainly what I'm learning greater in training than they are once you make it to the practicing level. It doesn't have to be that way. If you choose to be in the hospital 24 seven as an attending, you can do that. Um, but that doesn't leave time for anything else in your life. Um, the road is long, but I always told myself if someone had to do heart surgery on me or someone had to do heart surgery on my mom, who mm -hmm. I love dearly, God forbid, I would hope they had trained as long as I did and had studied and perfected their skill as long as, as I have had to do. What are, um, some of like the favorite highlights. So people tell us, oh, being a med student is hard, being a resident is harder. <laughs> but what were maybe your favorite moment and your least favorite moment from, you know, college to now? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, um, I loved medical school and I had a really great group, 
group of friends in medical school that I still keep in touch with mostly through social media. But every now and again, we find ourselves in the same place in the country and get to see each other. Um, but we had what we called a study group on Thursday night <laughs> where we would study for a while and then um, watch uh, Friends was still on the air. That's how old I am. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's still relevant we today. Watch Friends. We still watch Friends. And yeah. then um, some of our more um, interesting members, and I'm looking at this drum up there, which looks familiar. They started bringing drums, and we kind of had this drum circle going on <laughs> after our study group on Thursday nights. Mm. And it was so kind of weird looking back, but in the moment, it was <laughs> so fun. And it was just nice to do something just to let loose. And it was great to be in this commute, you know, community of people. We were studying, working hard, but then we could also have fun together. And so that was great. And they've been a great support. Um, you know, throughout, throughout residency and even to this day. So, so I should, I should, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to draw. I wanted to point out that the drum oh. was in fact from a drum circle, uh, a group of people here who had a drum circle um, ages ago. Um, they have since moved on to, uh, to their careers. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that was uh, awesome. a leftover from that. So yeah. Awesome. If we pulled down that drum right now, how, how crazy do you, you would think be you'd amazed. Go? Yeah. <laughs> Pull it down. I want to see another drum oh, circle. No. Yeah. Not, not, not for the show. No. Okay. I'm just saying, it's here for you. That could be a theme, you know, on a you know, future podcast. Yeah, well, why not? Do We've drumming. done weirder things. Make sure you invite me back. Okay. Awesome. So, great friends in medical school. Um, in residency, going into my chief year, um, it was the first chief class at this hospital in Brooklyn, and we were all female. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends Christy Brock and Duangna Pakuti and I were the chief residents in our in our hospital, and it was so fun to kind of claim that with them that year. And we had, I think, our residency ran very well. We made a huge commitment to teaching and it was noticed by the medical students we had rotating with us and certainly our junior residents as well. We had, there was a tradition at the hospital that um, towards the end of the year, they always had this golf outing for attendings. And the only residents who were ever invited were the chief residents from surgery. And since this was the first year, we were all female. We were left off of the invite list. Ooh. I know, right? terrible. So my friend Christy, co-chief co- Christy, went to one of the cardiothoracic surgeons and said, why weren't we invited to the golf outing? Isn't that tradition? And he said, oh, well, we didn't know any of you golfed. And she said, well, we all do. So Christy is telling me this story, and I said, Christy, I don't go. Uh, you do know. And she said, well, I don't either, but it was, it was so wrong of them not to invite us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, our, our other friend, Duangnapa, did golf and was like a bit of a hustler on the golf course, actually. So Chris, we had one week, and Christy bought us golf lessons every night for a week. So that we could show up to this golf outing not looking ridiculous. 
and it kind of paid off. And now I love golf course. I never play. But it's one of these great activities where you have to totally clear your mind in order to concentrate. And by the end of the day, everyone else had had so much to drink on the golf course <laughs> that they thought we looked like superstars. So, you know, because nice. we could actually still hit the ball. <laughs> So that's one of my favorite memories from residency is that is um, probably the best story I've ever heard of women overcoming like any sort of discrimination in medical training. Thank you. That just taking golf lessons in the evening as a chief. Well, big props to Christy Brock for getting us those golf lessons. So, yep, she made it work. So let's start working in our swing, ladies. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and take me with you because really it's so such a cathartic activity and it's nice to be outside and yeah so what do you charge for a week of golf lessons if we were to hire you <laughs> oh no i <laughs> i don't know if i'm good enough to teach it's like you know see one do one teach one yeah exactly <laughs> so i i never really saw one and then i kind of did one i don't know so <laughs> we'll, we'll have to learn relearn together i think blaze yeah. neutrals that's yeah. right <laughs> we'll pencil that in after the drum circle or before mm, i think after <laughs> okay so so we'll golf first and then drum circle after okay, okay. yeah i say do them all at once i mean <gasps> even better Ooh, like on the yeah. golf cart yes yeah yeah like my problem was I found I'm too loud for golf. Usually people don't appreciate no. my presence. <laughs> I feel like drums are even more disruptive. So we might get some looks. I don't believe it. Yeah. yeah. We'll just ignore them like yeah. normal, Kylie. That's right. That's right. Don't ever let anyone get in the way of your fun. Unless it's illegal and it's a cop. <laughs> and then let them intervene as appropriate. Mm. <laughs> Such good advice. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> well, it's good because, I, I, I mean, medical training seems to be designed in some ways to, like, you know, prevent you from having a life. <laughs> what? And uh, prevent you from having fun. But, I, you know, like, finding ways to do that seems like a really good idea. And, and, and it's one of the reasons why, you know, like, when people come to medical school, and they, if they, for some reason, are stupid enough to ask me, like, what kind of advice would I give them? I would say, you know, resist the urge to completely buckle down and become, you know, only a med student. Dave it, was very adamant in giving me this advice the first month of school <laughs> before he saw how little I did academically. Well, <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> Anyway, that's always my advice. <laughs> well, Pre-meds out there, don't give up what makes you you. Absolutely not. And that is that is a very important piece of advice because it is those unique qualities and those cool hobbies that you have that make you more relatable to your patients. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we've, we know who they are, those people who only read their textbooks and do nothing else but study medicine. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't make academics a huge focus. That's why you're here. But it's not enough to just have a lot of information if you can't pass that on to your patient in a relatable way. You can talk as much as you want to a patient, but if they're not understanding, then it it's it's worth it's worthless, right? You're wasting your words. So I think that's right. Maintain maintain what makes you you because it makes you more relatable for your patients. And that's what they need in those moments. Someone who's very knowledgeable but can also connect with them. 
Well, I think it helps with your academics, too. Um, I play trumpet in the hospital orchestra. Oh, cool. And it's like, you know, some, some evenings I don't want to go because I don't want to break up my study block that I'm working on. But I always feel much better after I've gone because I think you're able to focus so much better when you've had a break and a break that makes you happy, not just... I don't know, eating dinner and watching Netflix, which I suppose does make me happy too, but not in the same way as getting to do something that I really enjoy. Um, So I think that that's definitely important, not only for your own well-being, but also I think it helps you academically. Right. And what what group is it that you played the trumpet in? The hospital has an orchestra and a jazz band and I also think a concert band. Well, I play bassoon. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Monday nights at 7.30. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Monday's my operative day, so I can't guarantee that <laughs> okay. I'll be there every week. That's but. okay. I mean, I it's bet they made make up. allowances. For okay, it. <laughs> they do, and it's made up of. Damn it, the bassoon is yeah. here. Why is that bassoon Just player covered in blood? Just keep the patient on blood. bypass. I'll be back in an hour. No, I'm, I would never do that. But yeah, awesome. Yeah, very cool. That's so great. And music, it you know, as a drum circle proved, music <laughs> is such a great outlet. Mm-hmm. And and then to be surrounded by other like-minded individuals, right? Medical professionals, mm-hmm. people who work in the hospital setting, um, who understand the importance of of keeping those fun thing, fun activities. I think there's a uh, choir too, isn't there? Like a oh, no one wants to hear me. Uh, sing. No, <laughs> they sometimes maybe that's a holiday been thing. Sporadic, yeah, like kind of acapella groups. Sing. But we M one sang at the uh, retirement home downtown, mm-hmm. and people are go. pretty talented. There's some ad-libbing. If you do say so yourself. Yeah. (laughs) So aside from bassoon, what are some other things you prioritize for yourself outside of the hospital? Well, my, I just adore my family and um, my parents raised three very independent ladies. So we're all over the country. Like we were not afraid to spread our wings. So actually tomorrow I get to go see my sister and brother-in-law and my niece who is my like my favorite human being on the planet. She's five. Krista is amazing. And so I when I do get time off, it's a huge priority to travel to see them. My parents are in Texas. I do have a sister and brother-in-law who are in Chicago and then grandparents who are in Minneapolis. So it's nice being here where I can get to Chicago and Minneapolis pretty pretty quickly. Um, I have in the last few months, in addition to keeping up with my journal articles to stay up on the latest and greatest in <laughs> CT stops. surgery, it doesn't, but it's exciting to hear about what people are studying and how they're dedicating their lives to improving the lives of others through this. I'm much more clinical. I like being in the operating room. But boy, do I depend on those people who have the lab set up and are doing all the bench work to really make these breakthroughs necessary to to get our patients better. Um, yeah, but uh, pleasure reading, like something not in a textbook. I have spent years, like ever since I went to medical school, have bought books that people have recommended. And they go on the shelf and they stay there. And I've moved them all over the country <laughs> preach, and never gotten to read them. And I'm still a book person. I know it's not maybe ecologically sound to buy an actual book anymore, but there's just something about turning the pages and the smell of the paper. And man, I sound old. Um, <laughs> I still love books. Um, I just love it. I, I just love the, 
you know, holding a book in my hands. But so I'm getting to read some books that I've been waiting years to read, which is really fun. A good book right now that you're reading? I just finished The Kite Runner. Mm, oh. That's a good one. Yeah. Very good. And um, there was one that I, before that I finished Middlesex by mm-hmm. Jeffrey Eugenides. Oh, yeah. Have you read it? I read half of it in college. <laughs> okay. Well, finish it sometime. Like if you get a vacation or something. It's so good. I think it won a Pulitzer Prize actually. Um, so Another good. Another one and, of those that I own and it's sitting on a shelf. And there's a lot of cool, like really rare medical. I don't want to give away too much stuff <laughs> in that. So yeah, it was a really good read. How about you? What, what, what activities, Philip, do you like to do in your spare time? I've been playing the ukulele this week. I, <gasps> Fun! So, so nice. I, I don't know if some people know, but I, I do like a weekly rotating activity. Ukuleles come back, though. I got mine, uh, I got my ukulele back in the fall. Awesome. But then I finally got my first book of ukulele songs this last week. <laughs> so, Were you inspired so, so I'm kind of getting into it more. Yeah. <laughs> so, so wait a minute. Uh, you do weekly activity. You do a weekly rotating activity. I do, I do. This is, and this is on purpose. It's not because you're weird. Well, oh, <laughs> it no, makes no, no. It... I, I well, love the idea. I mean, well, it's just like you have a you have a, such a long list of things you want to do, and you got to fit it in somehow. Wow. And so if it's something that you want to keep up, then it might come back. Right, right. You're such a liberal arts but, uh, man. So what? Are, what are, I know, so well rounded. Yeah, what What have been some of the other? Yeah. Uh, weekly yeah. weekly in, in the weekly rotation so like the week before i was trying to do some dance and then the week before that i was planning my trip to mexico for mm-hmm. fun and then <laughs> a few other things which you but... may or may not go on actually no, i, I go am on? going i'm going to mexico for spring break so. nice. nice if you want to ride i'm driving Sorry. to california and yeah. drop you off oh, oh thanks yeah nice. so. is that the same thing yeah. okay <laughs> It's close. Where right. in Mexico are you traveling to? So, so my girlfriend just finished her step one, and she wanted to go to Cabo. So nice. We are going <laughs> fancy. But I, I did find a Starbucks and a Walmart there. So if I can't handle the partying, I can always <laughs> hang out at Walmart. <laughs> get a get a taste of home. You know. Maybe you'll you find. <laughs> you manage to have a girlfriend and a weekly activity. I am like. Yeah. Bow yeah. down to you. Maybe yeah. you'll find a new rotating activity in Mexico. Maybe. Do you speak Spanish? I took a few years back in middle school and in high school. Uh-huh. And then I was able to do like the, we have a elective here where we meet up like eight times, like Sundays for eight weeks. Oh, great. And so I was able to do that. But uh, it's kind of on and off. Yeah. I grew up taking Spanish I went to school in Texas, so there was a huge Spanish-speaking population in Texas, and then it ended up becoming one of my majors in undergrad, and it has been amazing to use the conversational Spanish I've learned with patients and how grateful they are that mm-hmm. someone speaks their native language, even though I'm pretty sure I'm making things up when I'm describing parts of the heart and procedures. <laughs> the fact that I'm attempting mm-hmm. to communicate yeah. with them in their native language means so much. So I think that's that's great to be able to, if you can continue to build that to connect, another way to connect with patients and being multilingual. Yeah. Do you guys focus on medical vocabulary in the class, or is it kind of a, an overview of the language? Yeah, so we definitely focus a lot on the vocabulary. The The instructor works at the free medical clinic in Iowa City, mm-hmm. and so he comes in with an idea of what 
for the intermediate class at least, and I'm not sure about the advanced class, for the intermediate class, we really try to work through the major questions you ask during a medical interview. And so there's a lot of focus on relational terms like above this, below that. How do you say all those relational terms and ask specific questions? Arriba, abajo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Are any of you all multilingual? Yeah, I grew up in a Spanish-speaking family. Oh, cool. So. I, I speak Arabic fluently and some of the languages in Africa, but they're not. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. What other languages in Africa? I'm curious. Well, Sudan have a uh, about thirty tribes, and every tribe have their own language, hmm. and I speak about twenty of them. Wow. There, there are variations of the same language, so it's not as cool as it sounds like. But now you shouldn't have said that because <laughs> it did cool. sound pretty darn cool. So it's, just, <laughs> it's not as cool as it sounds like. That's sure. fine. That's so, yeah. We'll give you a pass. Yeah. Only only three or four, you know, real languages. Yeah. That's amazing. Have you ever done any um, medical missionary work or considered doing any of that, Um, you know, traveling back to these places where you're fluent? Oh, yeah. I worked for the UN when I was in Sudan. I was born and raised in Sudan. uh, So I just moved here about five years ago. Um, I did some work for the UN, and I would translate because I speak the language. Traveled quite a bit in Africa and around. I'm definitely going back. One of the reasons why in Iowa, Iowa is super cheap to be in. Okay. <laughs> if you don't want to stay in debt for the rest of your life, it's a great sure. place to be in. Okay. Uh, but I'm definitely going back. Will you take me with you? Definitely. <laughs> All right. I would love to. Let's go save some lives. Yeah. Be fun. Awesome. Um, I also worked with this fella. He's from Brown. His name is escaping me right now. He's a orthopedic surgeon. Oh. Uh, he works in a place called Jibala Nuba in Sudan. And he is the only doctor there for over, over a thousand people. Wow. Um, he works on his own without any help, of course, and he's basically a miracle worker. So uh, there's a lot of really awesome people back there. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm so jealous that they're going to take you back from us. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Hadil is an awesome, like, uh, teacher as well. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Teacher of all things immunology and neuroanatomy. You're over-exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks. Yeah, that's seriously. awesome. Yeah. But... Definitely, cardiothoracic surgery is what I want to do. That's why I came back from it. Oh. She keeps asking so. to practice this, <coughs> but we haven't let her. Oh, well, like, you'll fall asleep one day. Can I switch? <laughs> <laughs> you switch your organs. <laughs> yeah. That is so awesome. Thanks. I'm so glad to hear that. We're gonna gonna get another good one in there Hopefully. in cardiothoracic surgery. Hopefully. Let Plus. me know how I can be helpful in any way. Oh. Uh, I'm sure. Good. I'll be able to. Good. Yeah. Thanks. So earlier you mentioned how young, when you were younger, that you wanted, you knew you wanted to be a heart surgeon. Uh, but I definitely know that along the path, you learn more about exactly how hard that's going to be. So can you tell me more about? <clears throat> yeah. Did you just take that in stride, or was there ever a point when you were really challenged by how difficult you knew the path was going to be? That's a great question. Um, I really feel like I'm doing what I was born to do. And I've had that sense since I was very young. I have definitely had the days where it's just so hard and I'm thinking, what am I doing? But there is literally nothing else in this world I want to do. And it sounds crazy, but it's almost like to deny your destiny. And so yes, taking it in stride, I definitely have 
those bad days or I had those bad days. I hope I don't have any more bad days. Um, but I truly feel that this is my calling. And it is kind of weird to realize that at a very young age. But it was so awesome to have those moments of validation along the way where, yes, this is what you're meant to do. Um, and I feel that way every day. And there's something so unique and sacred about being in the operating room. Um, it can be a hard case, but it's just like I get in this zone and it, body, mind, spirit all come together. And this is why I am on this earth right now to do this. So to have that kind of passion, I think I'm very fortunate. I think if you're gonna, whatever you pursue, you should really be go at it wholeheartedly in that same way. And so feel that there is nothing else where I can make a greater contribution than what I'm doing right now. That's our show. Uh, Dr. Larson, thank you so much for taking time to hang out with us and, and, uh, and give us some perspective on um, your journey. Well, thank you so much. I'm so inspired by all of you. Oh, thank you. You're Thanks. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Kylie, Philip, Aaron, Hadil. Thank you for coming on the show. I, I hope that uh, that Philip and Hadil will will uh, come back and be on the show again, unless we've really put them off. This was just Philip's weekly activity lay, for once. I would lay it, if they put if, if you're put off. I we'll would lay see. that right at the feet of Kylie. Um, what? it's your fault if we put yeah. them off it's your fault <laughs> it's always my fault that's what I'll go with uh, I do want to say uh, you know at the beginning of the show you might have noticed uh, I taught uh, there was an announcement about us being part of the MedEd Media Network uh, MedEdMedia.com uh, I'm really excited about this uh, working with um, uh, the podcast podcast over there headed up by Ryan Gray um, and I want to thank Ryan for, uh, for, for thinking of us. Um, uh, super nice guy. Go listen to um, all of his uh, shows over there at mededmedia.com. He does a really good job. And thank you, listeners, for making us a part of your week. We know you have other internet entertainment you could choose. Uh, and we're glad you chose us. If you like what you heard today, consider sharing us with your colleagues. What are you laughing at? If you have All a those internet entertainment choices. Yeah. If you have a suggestion for something we could talk about, send it to the shortcodes at gmail.com. Leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. And like our Facebook page, where uh, every week I put things on. <laughs> I really sold that. This show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Fox. And our closing music is by Argo Fox. Talk to you in one week. 